You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. With NFL playoffs right around the corner, NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. So head there today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And here we are, we're back with the forwards, and it's Jason Paul again from Kenya. How are the elephants doing? They're doing well, man, they're doing well. You don't want to uh, get too close, but... Um... We see quite a few, actually. Actually, we see them uh, driving to the coast. You can see them actually on the side of the road, which is super, super cool. You, it must must be fantastic to to have this opportunity. And, and and yeah, I mean, I get excited when I see a moose down the road, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, too. That's super cool, too. It's, 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 yeah. another, it's another thing to see an elephant and a giraffe, right? Yeah. It's so it's so it's so amazing. Your when your kids look out the window and they're like, "Hey, look, there's an elephant," or "There's a giraffe." It's uh, yeah, it's a little bit surreal sometimes. Snakes? Any problems? Little snakes in the yard, but uh, no problems. We've got a couple cats, so they they tend to take care of them. Are they faster than the snakes? I've saw that. I, I had to look it up somewhere. What you know, cats' reaction time are, are faster than the snake strikes. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, you you always learn something new. We rescued a Kenyan cat, and um, we kind of joke in the household that he's 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 the king, man. He he he's not scared of anything. Well, if he lives on the street in, in Kenya and survives, he's probably not going to be yeah. scared of anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, good to hear. That's another thing you should do if you have the opportunity to rescue an animal. They they, they will be so appreciated uh, throughout their lives. We're here to talk about the offense. Obviously, we have a first line that is clicking a little bit after uh, someone stood up at the draft and uh, before the draft and said, you know, there is an open roster spot between, next to Caulfield and, and Suzuki. Has he earned that place now, Slavkovsky? I think so, man. He looks pretty comfortable there now. It's He he had one of his best games against uh, Colorado, statistically. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's... Um, it's it's almost ex- ex- as if it's exactly what that line uh, needs. I was always worried, and and again, I tweeted out quite a bit in the past couple of years that you know, Cole Caulfield, you know, what an amazing talent that guy is. That shot he had but, against Colorado, man. Yeah, it's so great that he's he's on the team, and I mean, he's having a bit of a slow year, but let's be honest, he's a tiny forward and. You know, my expectations of him still kind of are like he's not going to be a five on five domino or, or dominant player there. Like he's going to be, they're going to have to carry that guy. Um, although I, I'm really impressed with how, how much he's changed his game this year. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the goals are a little bit low, although his shot, shot percentage is low. I'm just wondering if he's been given the task of, you know, cleaning up his five on five game. Regardless, uh, you can't then have Suzuki. If you have Caulfield there, you can't have like some sort of, you know, you know, small player that's, you know, a liability on defense if you already have Cole Caulfield on that line. So it's almost as if he's the perfect 
perfect match there. And then you got Slavkovsky suddenly playing the the two hundred foot game, growing into that body we we knew he had. Uh, I remember say, people saying at the draft, we took the guy that we expect to be the best guy in in a couple of years, not the next year. Uh, they got a lot. Exactly. Of, they got a lot of crap for for uh, uh, putting him in the NHL last year, and and and. He grew into the game. He didn't, you know, NHL is not a development league, but but it has taken time. In some ways, you can argue the injury was good because you had that long season with World Juniors and, and with the Olympics and, and the draft and, and camps and going straight into the NHL. So he needed recuperation and he took it in the, in, in the right way. He worked on his game and, and areas of the game where he didn't really need to to or wasn't very good at. And he knew what he needed to adjust in order to become better. Um, great to see them gelling. Great to see them working together on the power play as well. We saw that last night against Colorado again. It's 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 a very very interesting line, and and it seems like that line is set for the foreseeable future. The question is, is it a one A line or a one B line? Yeah, I, I'm not part of that bandwagon on Twitter and social media that thinks Nick Suzuki is a one, you know, B. Uh, you know, that is a bona fide, that'll be a bona fide top line. Uh, it, it already is, really. So, you know, Nick Suzuki is your uh, Bergeron, whether you want to call him Bergeron light or, or not. That's his mold. He's, you know... Um, there's reports out there and I think the same thing that he, he should be in the race for the Selkie. And again, using some of my charts, you can see that he's putting up the best five on five defensive numbers on the team by a pretty good margin. And he plays Consider tough competition he's, and he's playing the toughest competition of any of the forwards on, on the team. Um, is his offense, is the production amazing? No, but it's almost a point of game. So you know, consider the team he's playing on. He's give, he's providing the best defense and he's providing the best offense. So, you know, usually when you see those charts, even the Edmonton Oilers, you see that the, the top guys are so amazing. They're providing just outrageous offense, but they're not providing the defense. There's other other players on the team that are providing stronger defensive play than they are. So, or they don't Suzuki's show up in the both. playoffs, which we know. Or they don't show up in the playoffs, <laughs> And you got to consider that, um, you know, the Habs really don't have a number one and number two defenseman as, as you would, as other teams, other top teams have, right? When you, when you consider pushing the offense, right? You don't have a Makar, you don't have a Hughes, you don't have a, um, you know, Fox, Dalin. So they're really, that is probably the biggest issue on the team and i'm not it's no no slight against uh Gooley. i mean more of a like a you know superstar a headman offensive a, pushing a, defenseman a, yeah yeah exactly maybe Gooley will be that but he's not quite there just yet right so um if they had just imagine if they had adam fox on that team what what that first line what would their numbers look like you know insane not in, maybe not insane but they would be like among some of the better lines in the in the league, I think for sure. 
Um, unfortunately for Montreal, the second line really never got a chance to to gel and, and, and play together. Kirby Dach out injured and Newhook out injured. And then it had become a patchwork of, of different players rotating in and out. But, but, you know, you got the first line set, as you say, but what can you see in order to, to generate some of those, you know, lines for the rest of the season? And, and are there any trade targets to, to get rid of in on, among those other forwards? Yeah. I mean, they, they, I always think about when Colorado won the cup and there's a picture of Makar and McKinnon um, in, you know, a few of the other core players, there was like five, five of them. And they're like this, these guys are the only guys left from three years earlier or four years earlier, right. When they were, uh, you know, in the bottom of the league, maybe it was five years. So you got to keep that in mind. You can't again, fall in love. Unfortunately, even guys like with, with Jake Evans and, you know, you can't fall in love with these guys because they're actually, they're replaceable. So if you, if timing is right and the offer is right, you gotta, you gotta start moving these guys. It's really that core you keep intact and you, um, you know, you can find those other players a little bit more easily. So I, I got to say that, you know, if it wasn't for this first line, if it wasn't for Nick Suzuki and Caulfield, I mean, I'm not sure anybody else is slotted in properly. I think we talk about this on previous podcasts. The way I see a lineup is, is he really a, a number one center? Yes. Is he, you know, is that really a second line center? If no, it's a cascading spot. How many is it's cascading uh, effects on the lineup, right? So how, how many spots in that current lineup are actually being filled by a player that should be in that spot? And I would say very few after Nick Suzuki in the first line. It's probably Doc on on the second. You know, you, we've seen. Well, he's, he's not there right now, but now. yes, absolutely. I'm I'm saying right now, right. So it's a real struggle for the team. Maybe Gallagher. Uh, I really like how Gallagher's playing. Like, I mean, the guy's got a huge contract, and he's you know lost <laughs> any speed he's had. He didn't even have speed before, but I really respect how he's adapted his game and he still plays that crazy game of bringing that puck to the net. You got him, you got Ralph, uh, Raphael Harvey Pinard. Uh, it was really good to see him come back. Um, I would even argue that Jake Evans right now, like yeah, it's been an up and down season for him. I thought he had a bad start. Then he had a really good section there of 10 or 15 games. And then now with all these injuries, I find that they're really leaning on him and he's kind of wilting a little bit. If you ask me um, again, could be injuries. We don't know. And Sean Monaghan's getting a lot of props. Um, you know, he's got, he had that stretch where he has some good goals and stuff like that, but the underlying numbers are not very kind to him. And the eye test for me is that he looks a little slow out there and uh, you know, I don't want to devalue. <laughs> no one's listening to me to devalue his asset, but um, a great player, like he's so cerebral and and stuff. But he, it's it's just you can tell he's maybe there's a nagging injury there as well. But he's not really hitting a home run. And Josh Anderson, uh, it's just a weird. He's got a weird um, performance statistical DNA this year. <laughs> I mean, he he's snake bitten. Uh, he, he kind of looks all over the place. He'll have one good game and, you know, five bad ones. It, the stats on him, underlying stats, do not look good. It's like one of the, some of the worst on the team, actually. 
and and it, it has been really Josh Anderson and Joel Armia that has been you know the the thrown under the bus in in some ways, especially among the fans. But they have been struggling, and and they're coming into that age where you're sort of expecting them to start struggles a little bit as well, because the age drop off is is there. It's it's getting closer. Uh, you mentioned Mohan. He, he's also one of those players, but you know he brings other assets to the team in regards to you know development and 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 you know yeah. learning from a pro etc cetera, etc cetera. obviously armia and anderson are pros and and you can learn from them but they also have a very specific playstyle mm-hmm. i think anderson is is really a victim of 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 the style that they play he's more of a terrian style right like get it up as fast as you possibly can and, and battle for it in the neutral zone and and hope you get a bounce and uh, that's not the style they play, and he, he definitely is struggling. So I just I wonder if other GMs there. I'm, I'm sure they do. They recognize that. Doesn't mean that they're gonna give full value for him, but some team's gonna pick him up with the right style, and they're gonna be happy. They're gonna be happy with him for sure. It's it's a player you you lean on in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of players that have extraordinary. Um, capabilities like even if it's just one single thing like speed or or size or something because you can catch lightning in a bottle and i I think that's what gms are trying to do when they come into the playoffs you want to get a maybe a reclamation reclamation project or you want to get a guy like anderson and you're not looking for him to be your best player when you go to the playoffs you're looking for a guy to heat up for four games that's it win you a series and then he can go to sleep for another two or three that in the bottom part of your lineup or mid that you're not looking, if you're not a star, you're a player that's in that zone. That's got to be semi-consistent. And then that can pop when they, uh, when you want them. And I, I do think Armia is also that kind of player. I'm a big fan of Armia. Uh, I get flack for it on the, uh, on the Twitter for sure. Um, and ironically his underlying and actual stats are pretty quite good actually on the team. So uh, he's kind of opposite when it comes to the the underlying numbers compared to Josh Anderson. We, we spoke about one fin, one fin that you know isn't that. Are we going to keep? Are we not? Jesse Ilonen, or, or are we calling him an American nowadays? Uh, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of those players that you might lose as well. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to who are your core guys, right? And. Um, we all fall in love with these players. Uh, I think he's got some impressive um, aspects about his game. Like he can just turn on a dime and I like some of the stuff he does along the boards, but I, I do have a major criticism of Yulonen's play and it's, and um, it's, and players that move like that have a tendency of finding open space and that's where they're going to go. Right. So fast you're turning and you're going to go to open space. The problem with that is the other team gives you the space that they want to give you. They don't give you the space they don't want to give you. And I find that a lot of his moves are actually to open ice, which is getting further away from the high danger places. Uh, He looks flashy. He looks great, but he's got to find a way. And if there's one coach that's going to, you know, help him, it it is um, Marty St. Louis. So I'm not saying give up on him, but he, he does need to, evolve his game a bit here he's a bit too perimeter it's but that's something we've been saying since his day in finland as well 
like he 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 was great in zone ends, uh, entries, uh, but then he he dropped the puck off or or, or went along the boards uh, where there were space and not going straight to the to the net and and creating that havoc that, and and maybe taking that hit that you need to take at certain instances. Yeah, exactly, and and fans, I think. Uh when you watch a hockey game, a player like that sticks out. You're like, wow, that guy's great. Uh, whereas players like um, Armia, maybe again, he gets a lot of flack on social media. Don't stick out. Cause he's doesn't, you know, sometimes he looks slow, but he's a little bit more calculated and he's a bit more, uh, you know, his plays are to drive to the net. I, I think Gallagher is probably an example, the extreme example. He's the exact opposite of Yulonen, right? He doesn't have that speed in the move, but every thing he tries to do is actually make that play to the uh, to the hard danger zone. And it doesn't mean to bring the puck and make a crazy deke. It just means you've got to make a move that progresses your team to get to that place. And it could be a pass, it could be a slowdown, whatever. You know, Suzuki is is if you ask me, like a master at that, right? He's not deking to get to the net. He's making every move possible to allow his players to get to those places where he's going to put the puck right we, we've spoken about rafael harvey pinan we, we we but then we have the michael stephens the the channer pearsons the Pacetas, ilonen armias andersons uh, there are quite a few players that you know are on the wind down or, or or we're not sure what we're having uh one guy that is coming up and obviously you have amazing stats on him because he's only played one game so far joshua Roy or two games uh but but you know what have you seen from him so far yeah i mean his poor guy the you know first few shifts i'm, I'm i think if i recall that his first shift didn't happen to like five minutes into the game or something like that and i kind of felt sorry for him <laughs> but uh my first impression was man he looks slow um and uh not just slow, but even his strides were kind of short and slow, right? Uh, and I think that's that's the knock against his game anyway. But then I I, I found in the game against Colorado, I kind of appreciated, I guess, his upright style, and he looked a lot more comfortable. Uh, just just not enough. There's not enough uh, data, <laughs> you know, data here or time on the ice for me to make a make a a call on that for sure, but. Again, going back to Yulonen, it's almost like complete opposite players, right? Super flashy, holding the puck versus a kind of guy that's more of a, I'm going to touch the puck a couple of times. And, um, but it's got to be danger you know, all the time. That's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm, I was excited for him to come up and, um, not as excited yeah, as we'll Matt Rake because he's really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, Ed, against Edmonton and then against uh, Colorado, those, that's pretty harsh for your first uh, few games, especially if your knock is, as uh, you know, a little bit um, slow on the ice. So we'll see. Doing the same as we did with, with the defense, uh, is the offense underperforming, performing at expected level or, or overperforming? Or are you dividing it into the first line and the injuries and the rest. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit unfair, right? Because 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 uh, of the injuries. Um, so, but I would definitely say underperforming. Um, again, you when you look 
at a lineup and you look at the raw stats and when I'm saying the raw underlining stats, like the expected goals and, and even just your actual goals rates, you like to see a player playing on the third line and outperforming his matchups. Right. Yeah. And that we're not seeing any of that uh, in, in, uh, in this current lineup. So we're seeing the first line performing extremely well, and we're seeing the rest just dogging it uh, statistically. So whereas the defense is a little bit reverse, right? So the the players, the the D-men that are getting the big ice against the other team's best players are not, the stats are not there, but you got some guys like Struble and Jackeye in a secondary role that are really outperforming um, the other team's players in that role so yeah a little bit i gotta say a little bit disappointing um but you know i think it's probably the power play that's maybe uber disappointing uh that has been since like you know 2010 and the calamari trade (laughs) (laughs) but it's a signs of life Uh, uh and if we can take just a minute to talk about the power play um yeah i mean i think and I've put it out on Twitter a few days ago before the Edmonton game. I think the big problem on their power play is the quarterback that, you know, I think Matheson is, is uh love the player. And I think he's made some great moves on the power play, but I think he's taking way too much of a big role. He ends up being the executor of the play, whether it's taking the shot or making that final pass for the one timer that, that finishes the play. Right. And that cannot be him in my opinion, that has to be Nick Suzuki. So you've got to run that power play in my, again, in my opinion, and it should not, the, the, the execution of the play has got to come off Nick Suzuki's uh, stick. And we saw in the past two games that when it, when he's running the, uh, the play, it does. Is there a bit of, is there uh, you know, finger pointing for Nick Suzuki? I think maybe a little bit. I think he kind of needs to take control. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. And I think it'll be if Hudson comes, if Hudson comes soon, uh, I think we might see a big, uh, big improvement there. You mentioned it and and I was going to talk about it. You mentioned Hudson coming up, but is it the lack of of, a a good defensive QB that that to run that power play or or help run the power play uh, that needs to happen for it? Yeah, I'm not sure it has to, has to be that defensive uh, QB, but I think it helps. Um, but I, I think what more of the mistake that they're doing now is, like I said, is that they're allowing Matheson to take a bigger role than he probably should be. And again, I, I hate digging on players because I, I love Matheson. I think he's a great skater and he makes some crazy moves, but it's all relative. If he's the, the 20th best QB in the game, then you should have the 20th best power play. doesn't mean he's shitty. It just means that you're, you don't want to be 20th. You want to be middle, at least middle of the pack. So for that to happen, you, uh, I don't know. And I, I make that argument for, you know, um, Riley on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. So it's, again, it's not about, is he a good defenseman? Are you guys, are these, is Matheson a great defenseman? Yeah, they're amazing. But if you're going to go head to head with, Fox and the Makar, and that's your end state because you got to beat those guys in the playoffs. You're if you're going to run a gun against the, that style with them, you're gonna 
end up end up on the on the wrong side. So you have to adjust. If you don't have the manpower, you need to adjust it. And um, when the Habs went to the finals, I think that was a great example. I think a lot of people maybe don't love that. Um, they got lucky and all that kind of stuff. But what I really appreciated about that that run was they didn't try to turn Jeff Petrie into, uh, you know, Kale McCarr. They That whole top four defenseman shut her down and didn't play any risky hockey. And I don't think people like that, but that was the choice that the, that the coaches and the team had to make because they weren't, they, they knew they didn't have the roster to go toe to toe. Right. No, you, you need to play with the players you have, not the ones you want to play and you can't force a, a, a square peg into a round hole either. You know, you need, you need to, to adjust and, and, and make those plays and, and set up those plays. The question is though, uh, joking about it uh, since uh, the calamari trade you know have and, and had Subin for a while and then everyone knew that they're going to go to Weber but Weber was you know shooting like a space rocket it, it seems like it's a one trick pony whereas other teams maybe have two or three tricks and and we saw it against Colorado we have seen it with in, in five on five play with with the new first line with Suzuki Cowfield and, and Slavkovsky and they're starting to gel on the power play as well that should really improve it, right? And maybe with the shot that Slavkovsky and Cowfield has and Suzuki as well, you open up to that three-pronged attack and, and and you know, you put Hudson there or you put Chekai there or you put someone else there, you, you're going to have more quality shot takers and, and somehow that should really improve the power play. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's really is about skill and it's not just about skill. I think... At the beginning of the season, one of the, my criticisms about the power play was even after they shot it, they were unable to retrieve the puck. It's like, you know, one and done. And you see these good power plays, you know, they have a, a big presence, maybe a physical presence in the corner. When you're just putting out players that are not that great along the boards, um, you're going to lose those battles. So you don't even get a second chance. And I th- I think that's an was an underrated bad thing about their power play i really think they've cleaned that up uh i haven't done it yet but i i want to do a tweet about the best uh board players on the forwards on the team and i think caulfield has taken his level of ability to fight and battle on the board like way better than he he was last year um suzuki is 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 in the realm of getting to be one of the better players in the league along the boards um, I'm a massive Joel Armia fan on the boards. I think he's one of the best in the league on the boards. Um, and that's an underrated part of the power play. You still have to fight and work, right? So yeah, you need the skill. You need to continually adapt. I'm confident in Suzuki and Caulfield because they're, they're uh, students of the game that they need to keep changing and adapting. Um, I, if I was running the power play, I would probably mix up, um, that point defenseman Matheson just so the other teams see something different just so your own team sees something different and it's kind of like if you if the coaching staff like I do believes that Matheson is actually taking too much away from Suzuki then you take him off even if he's doing a good job it's not good enough uh and maybe you should try a Harris there or Struble or whatever or even even a even a forward you know 
or maybe they should just change the power play coordinator. Yeah, uh, maybe. I know. I know. There's a lot of people on Twitter that are to get them. I think there might be something there. You know, analytics is not just about expected goals and charts and stuff like that. It is about you know the business of the game and understanding you know your probabilities of winning and and when you pull the goalie, is it at three minutes? Is it at one minute? Information and analytics can tell you that kind of stuff. And and I. Still a bit surprised with with the Canadians on that. Um, maybe they're a little bit disorganized with that kind of stuff. They even uh, Mike Johnson last season he kind of gave a little poke at the coaching staff last season because they didn't have any set plays. It didn't seem that they had any set plays on draws, right? And that is a super popular thing to do now in the NHL. And if you're a team that doesn't have that, that's kind of strange to me. And then now this season, you can see that they actually do have some set plays. And the only reason I'm, I'm saying that is because you can extrapolate from if they don't have set plays, well, then maybe they don't look at doing set plays on the power play or are looking Not at things. Maybe enough. they just put players out there. Yeah, like Stevenson on the, uh, on the penalty kill. You know, again, don't want to rag on a player, but the penalty kill is a, a super important part of the game. I... I it seems to me that some coaches just put out players because they're on the fourth line. And if, if you don't put them on a penalty kill, then they're not even going to get 10 minutes of ice, but that's not how you should divvy up the ice. Like that is a penalty kill. such so very extremely important. So you got to put your best players out there. Um, even on the penalty kill, of course you have to manage the, um, their ice times and stuff. But if Suzuki could do another couple minutes a game, that guy should be on the penalty kill. He's, in my books, he's one. He's one of their best penalty killers. There you have it. We'll listen to to Jason Paul for insights. We'll listen to to him explain analytics for us. Anything you want to contribute here before we sign off from Kenya? No, just uh, give me a follow, and um, I'll uh, I'll argue with you on Twitter. <laughs> or you know, you should never <laughs> trust the X, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the X. I keep calling it Twitter, but yeah, yeah I, I do as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's great to have you on. We really, really appreciate it, Jason. I'm stoked to see you with a suntan and 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 you know a beard that is getting longer. You're gonna join CC Top in a couple of uh, months. <laughs> but thank you all for listening. This is part two of the uh, halftime review. We're going to the three-headed monster that is the. Montreal Canadiens goalkeeper situation uh, in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.